You're listening to the New Story Podcast from New Story Church in Kansas City. To learn more about New Story Church, visit our website at www.newstory.church. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Equip Podcast, where we are equipping you to live out your Christian life as you faithfully love God and love others with truth and grace. My name is Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors here at New Story, and I'm joined today by... Hey, guys. It's Aaron here today. What's up, Aaron? Good to see you. Good to see you, too. It is an important day in the Christian calendar, um, one of the most famous days called Good Friday. And uh, we just wanted to get in here real quick and share a little bit about the events and um, just kind of the important takeaways from what today is all about. So, Aaron, why don't you go ahead and take it over? Thanks, Jeremy. What facilitated this uh, talk here today is uh, the other day I was asked a, a, a great question by a friend, um, a person I've known for a while and, and that I care for deeply, asked me, you know, help me understand Good Friday. And I started thinking, man, this is something that I kind of take for granted. I take for granted that um, maybe people understand what Good Friday is. And the reality is it's really easy to be familiar with Easter and familiar with like getting together with family and doing Easter egg hunts and baking cookies and spring and all sorts of things and, and maybe not have a clear understanding of what Good Friday is. And so what I wanted to do is, in a very brief sense, walk through the events of Good Friday. Now, I could we could go way more detailed than what I'm going to do today, okay? But what I want to do is I want you to imagine with me that you are in Jerusalem, okay? Somewhere around 30 A.D., you're in Jerusalem, the city is full, people are everywhere, anticipation is high, everyone is on edge. Um, they're on edge for a number of reasons. They're on edge because the Romans are in town and they're, they're in full force. Pilate has upped the number of soldiers. They're, I mean, things are just, you know, it's, it's crazy. People are excited for the Passover celebration and whatnot. Um, you would enjoy a meal together on Thursday night. You would enjoy the Passover meal. This is what the scripture describes for us as the Last Supper. This would have been a time of remembering God's hand of deliverance, being prepared. You'd eat, you know, standing up. You'd eat having your, having, uh, your robe on, ready to go. You'd be ready to part because it's re- reminding people of God's deliverance from Egypt. And so they ate a very uh, simple meal. Uh, with, with bitter roots and herbs, reminding them of how God was taking them out of this bitter land of Egypt. Jesus and his disciples ate that meal. Several cups of, or glasses of wine would be involved with this meal and shared. One of those glasses of wine that was left on the table and wasn't drank, according to tradition, is called the cup of wrath. It would be left sitting there. Jesus and his disciples have this meal, and one of the things that Jesus did was he, he broke pr- protocol. In the middle of the meal, he took, the, he took bread and he broke it, and he said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. That was a little confusing, okay? 
or in, in remembrance of me. Sorry, not in remembrance of you. Okay. Um, then he, then he, a little while later, he took a cup and he said, drink, this is my blood, which is poured out for the remission of the forgiveness of your sins. Judas left, Satan having entered him. He went to go betray Jesus. Jesus, knowing what he was about to go through, washed the feet of the disciples. I mean, these are, these are just the events leading up to it. And then Jesus would have gone across, left the, the city of Jerusalem itself, gone across the Kidron Valley to the base of the Mount of Olives, to the place that is today we think of it as, um, you know, I, I, I guess uh, a place of an olive press, you know. We call it the Garden of Gethsemane. And he began to pray. He was praying so fervently and so with such focus and there was such anxiety on him because of what he knew what it was about to go through. He's crying out to the Lord and he's saying, Lord, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. I don't think that imagery or that word is an accident. Okay? He's praying so so fervently that the scripture tells us that he began to sweat drops of blood. This is an actual physiological occurrence that when you're under such great pressure, your body uh, feels it, knows it's going on. The blood vessels inside your body will begin to break and you can sweat drops of blood. He ends his prayer by saying, nevertheless, Lord, I've asked this, but whatever you choose, your will be done. And as soon as he did that, here came this marching gathering of soldiers and religious leaders accompanied by Judas. And they looked for they they were looking for Jesus. When they found him, they took him into their custody and then they took him back across the Kidron Valley, more than likely, I think, to Caiaphas' house. There was an illegal trial held. They asked him all kinds of questions. You weren't supposed to have this trial in the middle of the night without there being any warning. You couldn't, you weren't supposed to do that. They did it anyway, you know. When they weren't satisfied with what they could do to him because they didn't have the authority to kill him, they threw him in the pit that was inside Caiaphas' house, inside Caiaphas' house, and, and they left him there overnight. Today you can go to what we believe is the location of Caiaphas' house and see this pit. Jesus spent the night in agony, knowing what awaited. In the morning he was hoisted up out of the pit and taken to, to Pilate very early in the morning. Pilate examined him, found nothing wrong with him. This is the beginning of Good Friday. After Pilate could find nothing wrong with him, he did, and he heard that Jesus was from Galilee, he thought, hmm, a Galilean, I'm going to pawn him off on Herod. Herod was in town as well. So he sent him to Herod. Herod was excited to see him. You know, Luke tells us that Herod was excited to see him. Uh, he'd been wanting to meet Jesus and, and interact with Jesus, but he was greatly dissatisfied because Jesus didn't say a single word to him. So he sent him back to Pilate saying he couldn't find anything wrong with this man. Pilate then asked more questions and finally concluded this man was not guilty. 
and was going to set him free. So what he did was he had a tradition of setting someone free uh, at the time of the Passover. And so he decided that Jesus was going to be that one. And yet when he went to set him free, the crowd of onlookers, people who were paying attention, they started to shout out, crucify him, give us Barabbas. We want Barabbas. Barabbas was a known insurrectionist, someone who had been stirring people up against Rome. The very claim that had been made about Jesus, that Jesus was claiming to be king of the Jews, and the, the, you know, the religious leaders just simply said, listen, we have no king but, but the emperor. Isn't it interesting how things change? So Pilate decided to wash his hands of it, literally and figuratively. And he turned Jesus over to be crucified. He said, do with him him as you wish. Sent him with the Roman soldiers. All of this likely would have happened at the Fortress Antonia, which is very close in proximity in the city of Jerusalem to the Temple Mount. Just a little bit to the east and north. You can still go visit the Fortress Antonia today. Jesus then would have been marched not too far away from there to a, a part of the city that would have been considered outside the city at that time, but today it, it is not. Part of the city called Golgotha. Along the way, he would have been forced to carry his, his cross. As they were going out there, a man from Cyrene named Simon was recruited. Jesus had faced beatings overnight, beatings at the hands of the Roman soldiers, whippings. He was quite weak. They had played a game, likely a very wicked game, called the King's Game. Roman soldiers used this game to make sure that they kept their edge and they were ready and willing to kill and to be brutal at any moment. They had beaten and mocked and bruised Jesus, spat on him, pulled out his beard. Anything you can imagine, they did it. They placed a crown of thorns on his head. Then, having stumbled on the way to Golgotha, Simon of Cyrene was asked to carry the cross, and he did. When they arrived at Golgotha, the cross was laid down. Jesus would have been laid on the cross His feet would have been fixed to the cross, more than likely using a stake of some sort. One stake through both feet. One stake through each wrist to hold his body in place. Matthew tells us that there were two rebels who were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads, saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders, they mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the Son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults. But then, to me, the most interesting part is what the gospel writers account next. 
from noon. So the approximate time of Jesus' crucifixion is more than likely, you know, sometime before noon. But from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the land. It is the brightest part of the day, and it is dark like night. Why? That's a hard question to answer. There are several theories that come to my mind. One, God is turning his back on his son because his son is now opening his back and his body up to our sin. Colossians records for us that Jesus took on himself our sin. He canceled the legal indebtedness against us by nailing it to the cross. God God can't look on that. I believe this is why Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was one of the statements that he made, seven statements, one of the seven statements made from the cross. God, why have you turned your back on me? This is why, because now he is the embodiment of our rebellion and our sin. So it's dark. Several other exchanges took place, one between Jesus and his mother, one between Jesus and John. An exchange took place between Jesus and the two other criminals crucified. One asked to be remembered when he entered into the kingdom, and Jesus said, truly you will be, today you will be with me in paradise. And then the Gospels tell us that Jesus cried out in a loud spirit at three o'clock. He said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. It is finished. Now, a couple things happened, but before I get to those things, I want to highlight, okay, what do, you, what do we mean it is finished? If Jesus did come to seek and save the lost, then he would have to pay for our sins. He'd have to be an atonement, a wrath-removing sacrifice to be able to pick up and carry away my guilt and my shame. I think that Jesus is saying at that moment, his work of picking up and carrying away all of my guilt and all of your guilt was finished. And then Matthew tells us, when Jesus cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. Okay. And people exclaimed, surely this man was a son of God. Okay. That was actually a Roman man, a centurion. Okay. Two things. Number one, why did the veil split? The veil, I, I don't have the exact dimensions, and I'm, I'm, go, I'm going off of, I should have had this before me, I'm sorry. I'm going off of my recollection, which I fully admit could be wrong. The veil would have been approximately 70 feet tall, approximately 20 feet wide, and the reconstruction of the veil that I've seen, according to the specs given to us in the Old Testament, was over eight inches thick, made of both cloth and animal skin. Now you tell me, how in the world that gets torn from top to bottom. That's an act of God. 
The veil was there to keep people out away from the presence of God unless they had the right and the ability to enter into the presence of God, which was only once a year that a high priest could do, having made sure that all atonement had been made for all of his sin. It seems to me now, on Good Friday, God was saying, it's thrown open, there is access. But I want you to know how there's access. It's only through the one who said it is finished. And then there's another great occurrence, earthquakes. It seems to me that God was disturbing the kind of the the order of things. It wasn't that long ago that Jesus had said, hey, listen, if people keep quiet, even the rocks will cry out. It seems to me that maybe, maybe something like that's going on. Jesus was then very hurriedly, hurriedly taken down off the cross. It's three o'clock. The shofar would have sounded at that exact moment from the southeast corner of the Temple Mount, signifying that a lamb had died for atonement for the sins of the people of Israel. The only thing is, it wasn't a lamb. It wasn't the lamb that they thought. It was a lamb that would finish all sacrifices. It was Jesus. These things are not accidents. Okay? His body was inspected. He was found to be dead. His legs were not broken like many would have been broken. All of this in in fulfilling of the prophecies given to us in the prophets. His body was given to a man named Nicodemus who was a wealthy Pharisee. He had a tomb nearby. All of this would have taken place near the location of what we today know as the Church of the Holy Sepulchre and the Church of the Anastasis, or the the Greek word for resurrection. His body would have been hurriedly prepared. Not, not everything that could have been done because at this time the sun would have been going down by about seven and they had to be done 30 minutes before sundown according to Shabbat or Sabbath rule. So they would have hurriedly prepared his body, wrapped it up in a garment, placed it in the tomb and rolled the stone over. But once he was dead, the, the religious rulers began to realize, wait a minute, this may not be the end. Somebody could sneak in and take his body out and claim that he's alive. And so they went to Pilate and they said, we need you to seal the tomb and place guards there. Pilate thought it was foolish, but he did it anyway. Okay. What's this all about? I'm not going to go into the resurrection here today. But the power of Good Friday and the reason that we can call it good, despite all of that evil and that wickedness, never never before has there been more of an injustice. Never. And never since has there been more of an injustice than Good Friday. It's all about that statement, it is finished. I want to read to you from Colossians chapter 3. I believe here. Let me turn to it. And I want you to see Paul's words. Paul's words. 
I'm sorry, Colossians chapter 2. Starting in verse 13, it says this, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. This, this is what is finished. The rule and reign of sin and every power and authority that those who wield sin has ever had. It's, it's, it's finished. This is why this is such an important day. I want to urge you, I want to urge you to not let this day go by without taking some time to thank Jesus for his work on your behalf. To come to him recognizing that you are a sinner in need of a savior and to thank him. That's why we celebrate Good Friday. Thanks, man. Yeah, I, like we said at the end, the, the only reason we can call this Good Friday it's because we know what's coming. We know what was accomplished. Um, and yeah, I encourage anyone to go and read those passages in the Gospels. Um, remember. Don't let this day pass without remembering what Christ did on our behalf. How he carried the weight of the sin of the whole world on himself. He was unjustly killed. Um, this is Good Friday. And um, as we look towards Jesus rising on the third day, put yourself in the shoes of the disciples who had for years now traveled with this man, put their hope, put their faith in this man, and now he's been killed. Just before the Sabbath, where... By Jewish law, they're required to sit and do nothing. Imagine the mental turmoil of sitting in the silence of Saturday, awaiting a miracle you didn't know was coming. Um, so I don't know where you're at right now, but remember the, the death of Christ. Remember the weight of our sin, but also remember Sunday's coming. Yeah. Again, guys, thank you for joining us for the short, um, just a quick podcast going through Good Friday. Um, we are trying to equip you to live out your Christian life as you faithfully love God and love others with truth and grace. So let's go do that today. We love you guys. Mm-hmm.